Welcome in to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. I'm Austin. Here with me is a pending undrafted free agent, Taylor Witt. Um, I think I think for you to be an undrafted free agent, we, I mean, I think technically we're both undrafted free yeah, agents. We, we were undrafted and we are free agents. So What's going on, buddy? Who are call you us up, with? Brett. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm waiting for the call. Uh, which position would you would you be signing at? Like, what what uh, what position snapper. do you have the best position to stick at? Long snapper. That's a good one. Have you ever snapped a football before? Yeah, yeah. I mean, between my legs and really far. I, I used to do it with my little brother in the backyard, and he'd be way back, like where the punter would be. And I mean, it's fun. It's I couldn't do the job after the long snapping of blocking. That sure. would be extremely, yeah, that would be, that'd be tough. extremely difficult. You'd have to tack on quite a bit of mass. I think I'd that. need like a designated blocker. Like I could right. be the long yeah. snapper and then just swap in real quick with someone to do the, the blocking part. Yeah, I think uh, I think for me, um, I'm going as a quarterback. I mean, <laughs> sure. I have no intelligence or ability to throw the ball or ability to avoid blockers or any of that. I just um, I'm just going to set my sights high. So. Give me a call, Breddy. You can find me on Twitter at RealBirdLawyer, him at Taylor underscore Wit. We're brought to you, as always, by Sports Illustrated's Airhead Report, which you can find at si.com slash NFL slash Chiefs. Good coverage going on there. On Twitter at Arrowhead Report. Pigskin Podcast Network at Pigskin Podnet. You can get your official Always Sunny and Chiefs Kingdom merchandise. Your friends at DadBodT, DadBodT.com, or on Twitter at DadBodT. And you can check us out on Underdog. You can use our promo code SUNNY, S-U-N-N-Y, they do not have NFL contests going currently because they got to, you know, update the whole draft board, the whole player pool. Um, I got to say, I got I got kind of hammered a little bit. Um, I didn't skew my draft super rookie heavy, but I got to tell you that every single rookie in underdog that I was drafting prior to the draft, their ADP is going down because, my goodness, this was a gross draft for fantasy football purposes. Yeah, it was really funny your perspective during the draft everyone else was like super hyped which you were too on the chiefs picks but i kept seeing the tweets of you being like you guys if anyone's paying attention to fantasy football at all this has been dreadful for fantasy football prospects and uh i feel you i didn't really go heavy on the rookies in my underdog leagues so it's not really gonna hurt me that much well good for you buddy well we're gonna talk today about the nfl draft recently concluded we're recording this as a special sunday night edition of It's Always Sunny in Cheese Kingdom. And we had a very, very special Thursday night live stream during the first round of the draft. If you missed it, you can check it out on our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, search for It's Always Sunny in Cheese Kingdom. There is a, you know, they used to call these VODs, video on demand. It's just a video now. It's not, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, I was thinking about the the Global StarCraft League. Right. you know, that was before this thing was just, it's just a video. It's a, it's a, it's a recording of our live stream. It's a YouTube we do a video. vlog. <laughs> a vlog, a vlog. Uh, a vlog, a VOD, whatever you want to call it. You can watch the live stream that we recorded. It's on YouTube. Go check it out on your YouTube channel. Not something that we do normally or that we've ever done. This is our first time doing it, but it was a lot of fun. We had a great um, turnout for the Birds of War. You will hear them, you know, get shouted out. And we took some questions from them live. A lot of fun. But tonight. We are going to go back through every pick that the Chiefs made in this draft. We're going to talk about the 10 newest members of the Kansas City Chiefs, not counting the undrafted free agents, because number one, we haven't signed anybody super sexy yet. And number two, that's still kind of ongoing. So this is it. We're going to talk about the draft. And buddy, what a draft. And, you know, Veach's draft history has been very up and down. And he's made some mistakes. He's hit some home runs. Um, Coming into this draft, I knew the Chiefs had the capital 
You know, that was never in question. I didn't know if they were capable of seizing the opportunity, like how well they would do. And I mean, it just kind of kept, we'll go through what our reactions were, but in general, they just kept hitting. It just kept being hit, hit, hit. Every single one of these picks, they were locked in. The Chiefs whole front office team knew what the hell they were doing. And everybody in the kingdom is stoked right now. Yeah. So let's start with the first pick. And you kind of mentioned, obviously, uh, I, I I did a little tweet summary of this that got a little bit of, I don't know. I had some people in my mentions that don't understand the concept of positional value in the NFL. But just to kind of, to your point, to expound on your point about Brett Veach and his draft history, I mean, the Chiefs' first draft after Brett Veach became the general manager was a disaster. Like, they literally got, uh, they got Derek Nottie in that draft, and that was the only player that still is on the Chiefs in mm-hmm. 2022. Obviously, a guy that doesn't play a super valuable position. That was the draft where they traded up for his first ever draft pick, Breland Speaks, mm. who is not even in the league. Like, I don't even think he was on a practice squad at the end of last year. Not good. Not a good situation. You know, oh. next. His next couple of drafts after that um, certainly improved, started to get some good players. And last year, you know, prior to this draft, really last year was the the pinnacle. I mean, that was his best draft, Uh, obviously getting Creed Humphrey and Nick Bolton in the second round and getting Trey Smith in the sixth round. Those are three guys that were starting for the Chiefs at the end of the year. Bolton, or excuse me, um, Creed and uh, Trey Smith started every game on the offensive line at center and right guard. I mean, incredibly badass, but again, you know, interior offensive line and, you know, middle linebacker, you know, those those guys are not incredibly high value positions. And the Chiefs had some holes even last year, wide receiver, edge and defensive back. Like even last year when they had quality starters at those positions, they didn't have any depth and it burned them. It burned them in the last game of the year against the Cincinnati Bengals when nobody could get open in the second half because Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey were being doubled on every play and just getting abused. And they couldn't stop the Bengals. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't cover and they couldn't pressure the quarterback. And when they were getting pressure, they weren't converting it into sacks. And then free agency happened. And all three of those areas of need became even bigger areas of need. Tyreek Hill traded away. Uh, Melvin Ingram, for now, remains a free agent. You know, um, on the back end, they lost Traverius Ward. They lost Tyron Matthew. They brought in Justin Reed, but obviously, like, they had needs at all three of these areas of the board. And so they started off this draft doing something that Brett Veach has never done, which is take oh, – I mean, to be fair, he's only ever had one first-round pick right. <laughs> that he hasn't traded Yeah, exactly. But he took a cornerback, Trent McDuffie, out of Washington with the 21st pick, trading up, giving up a third and a fourth rounder to the Patriots to move up to 121, 21st pick in the first round. And take Trent McDuffie. And you guys can watch our live reactions to this, but just kind of replay for me what was going through your head when we took McDuffie. Well, we were talking about when we should go on. We didn't really want to waste a lot of time before the Chiefs were going to pick. You know, they were slated at 29. We figured, all right, you know, 10 minutes per pick. We'll sit. We'll go on around pick 20, pick 21. We were pretty excited to get on. And then basically as we're setting up the live stream and hitting record and going live, the news breaks that the Patriots had traded back. We didn't even know when this, when our live show starts, we didn't even know the chiefs were the team that, you know, but we figured it could have been because we knew that, you know, a trade up would have been fun and possible. And then we see that the chiefs are trading up. And at that point, um, you know, I think a lot of people, myself included, were targeting wide receiver there. 
right. we're thinking 23 overall. Um, you know, at that point, um, I I guess six, the six guys had already gone off the board. Six wide receivers. That's right. There was right. a huge wide receiver run um, starting at number eight, and then but was, Green Bay was picking at 22. That was the <laughs> first of their two picks. That's right. And so trading up above Green Bay, you figured the Chiefs were positioning themselves maybe to take George Pickens, maybe to take you know, uh, one of those other wide receivers that everybody had kind of talked about. But anyway, they did. And they picked Trent McDuffie. And that was kind of a guy that wasn't really on the radar as far as edge and wide receiver were really the two main, um, you know, areas of need that we identified targeting in the first round picks. And then to see the cornerback go um, afterwards, Brent Veach said, you know, of all the, I said, Brent, Brett Veach said yeah, yeah, Brent, of Brent all Veach. the players um, that they, all the scenarios that they had gone through for even for trading up, <laughs> Trent McDuffie wasn't in any of their scenarios because they assumed he was going top 15 and he was still sitting there. They saw tremendous value and they picked up the cornerback from what's turned out to be cornerback you lately, Washington right, Huskies. Right. And I mean, I think that it's a really great fit and I'm really excited about what McDuffie can do here. Yeah, it it was uh, it was interesting, obviously, for Brett Veach to trade up to get a cornerback. His previous high in terms of round that he's drafted a cornerback, I believe, is the fourth round. I think Legarius Sneed is yeah. the highest he's ever drafted a cornerback previously, and he hasn't had a lot of first round. I mean, he's only had one prior first round pick, but he's had plenty of second and third round picks, and he's never invested them in a cornerback. And so, for the Chiefs to trade up. And take a cornerback was a little bit surprising there. When we went on the stream, we thought that it could be Jermaine Johnson, a defensive end at Ohio right. State. That's right. He was falling at that point. And we took uh, – you actually did a great job here pulling together essentially an aggregate of all of the draft guides and, you know, kind of where everybody um, was rated across a lot of the, the major draft guides. And Jermaine Johnson uh, – had an average rank of 17. So he was already kind of slipping at 21. You know, he was certainly was falling, falling, falling. Trent McDuffie though, <laughs> according to your information that you've aggregated together, 15 and a half was kind of his average rank on the average big board. And you put together PFF, you had KCSN, you had sports illustrated and you had the athletic. So yep. those four sources, those four big boards, the average position for Trent McDuffie was 15 and a half. And so he wasn't really on our radar either. Uh, no. He he had slipped a little bit. He's a guy who is very athletic and uh, has great cover skills. I mean, just got tremendous coaching at Washington. Um, and if you, you go back and you watch the, the call with Steve Spagnuolo, he actually specifically says like, we know you've gotten great coaching at Washington. Um, you know, that was where, um, Marcus Peters went, obviously, right. and, you know, he certainly had a, a good career for the Chiefs before um, things kind of soured a little mm -hmm. bit. But Trent McDuffie, uh, 9.48 relative athletic score, so 90, about 95th percentile. He's pretty much elite guys in every category except for height, weight, weight, and and bench. He's, he's, he's strong. He's 67th percentile in those areas, but... Uh, height, he's a little bit below average, 49th percentile. He has really short arms, 29.75-inch arms. That is small for a cornerback. Uh, he's got the little T-Rex arms. And I don't know, there's a part of me that is a little bit scared by that just because of, obviously, the kind of guys that gave the Chiefs problems last year. Like, when I say that, I'm specifically thinking of the Cincinnati wide receivers. Yeah. And how Probably they... Not and how they burned us. And 
you know, Jamar Chase versus Trent McDuffie. Can Trent McDuffie cover Jamar Chase? Can anyone cover Jamar Chase, to be fair? No. But, you know, a, a guy that obviously, um, you know, one of the top three cornerbacks, the other two cornerbacks that were, were consensus first-round picks went third and fourth overall yeah. in this draft. Right. Right. And so for the Chiefs to get the third third best guy at 21 overall trading up uh, really does feel like tremendous value. He's going to be a guy that starts week one. Love the pick. Well, and cornerback specifically has become a more important position recently with the way that the NFL offenses are kind of evolving. You know, I I definitely feel like these front offices are noticing that elite quarterback play can really, really help you if you don't have the offense to keep up. You can at least maybe throw out a shutdown corner or something like that. And McDuffie, you know, he checks a ton of boxes. You're right that he um, is a little undersized, but I just like the uh, the write up on the KCSN draft guide. I'm just going to give a couple sentences from here that I think are uh, pretty indicative of Duffy's strengths. He's he's listed on the roster as a smaller cornerback, but they say it's impossible to tell that on the field. He plays much larger than his size, combines that with traditional benefits of being a smaller corner. His quick feet and change of direction skills are top-notch, allowing him to quickly drive on routes underneath or flips his hips to carry a receiver vertically. And when in press man technique, he shows hands and feet that were in sync, making it easy to disrupt receivers at the line of scrimmage. So technically, which we expect this from, as you said, good good coaching at Washington, but as far as a technical cornerback goes, he checks all the boxes. And um, I think I saw, I don't really remember who it was that was talking about safe picks in the first round. Um, this was someone that I hadn't seen coverage on them previously. So the name didn't stick with me, but they said that like there were three people that were slam dunk high floor safe picks in the first round. And Trent McDuffie was listed as one of those. So that's certainly, um, you know, I think that this is a guy that the Chiefs fans aren't going to really have much opportunity to look back and be like, damn, I can't believe the Chiefs picked him in the first round. I think he's a, a really, really good option. Yeah. So then the Chiefs stood pat with their their selection at 30th overall. The Patriots with the Chiefs former pick at 29 overall took um, I can't even remember his first name now. Colin? His first name. Uh, no, it's not Colin Strange. No, it's Strange. it's uh, Cole. Cole. That's Cole. Close. Cole. That's right. Cole Strange. Cole Strange. They took Cole Strange, a center who, uh, if you haven't seen the video, Sean McVay at the Rams draft party <laughs> said, "We wasted our time scouting him, thinking he'd be there at 104." <laughs> they got him at 30, 29. <laughs> Patriots drafted him at number 29 overall. So that put the Chiefs on the clock with obviously checking off one of their three major needs with their first pick in Trent McDuffie. With their second pick, they took edge rusher from Purdue, George Karloftis, a guy that we had been talking about on the show for a couple of weeks leading up to this. We had Craig Stout from KCSN on a couple of weeks ago. And to be clear, Craig was the lowest on George Karloftis of the KCSN guys. Um, some of the other KCSN guys liked him better. But he was a guy that, um, I mean, he was ranked actually on your big board, which is just an aggregation of, of the four sure. major ones that we're looking at. I but, came up with the whole thing. Yeah, you, you came up with the whole thing. You scouted all these players. <laughs> he right. actually came in above Trent McDuffie, and he came in above Jermaine Johnson. He was edge three, or excuse me, I guess four. technically edge four. Yeah. Trayvon Walker is above him, and, and then Thibodeau and Hutchinson. Right. Edge four on your draft with an average draft position or average rank of 14.8. So yeah. they were talking about somebody that was expected to go 
in the top half of the first round available at 30th overall and ahead of Jermaine Johnson, who was the guy that we kind of even thought when they were trading up at 21, maybe was the guy. Jermaine Johnson is an older prospect. Jermaine Johnson, you know, flashed at the senior bowl, but George Karloftis is arguably a better prospect, a 9.23 relative athletic score that includes elite explosion, vertical and broad jump scores off the charts, his uh, 20 yard split in the 40 yard dash, which, you know, again, you've got 40, 20 and 10 yards. Uh, His 20 yard split uh, split was 93rd percentile. He did that at 270 pounds and he's six foot three and a half. So (laughs) big guy, very explosive, not a lot of bend, but listen, like not every edge rusher has to be Von Miller. There's other ways to rush the passer and he's good at all those other ways. Yeah, he's really exciting prospect and one that, you know, the Chiefs needed help immediately on the edge. They needed a guy that could come in that could be a day one starter, and George Karloftis is absolutely that guy. He was extremely, extremely productive at Purdue. Um, He's a guy that was PFF's third-ranked edge, and actually Karloftis and McDuffie were both in PFF's top 11 overall players. And so the Chiefs got two players that, say what you want about PFF, clearly they know a little ball, and they ranked both of those guys in the top 11. So that was pretty exciting as far as value goes, but not even the the value part of it. He is just a a monster inside and is going to be, and around the edge, he can kind of, he can pop inside to rush in or he can, you know, stick on the outside. And I think they're going to be able to use him pretty uh in a couple different packages and rush packages and i just am really excited about having a piece on the defensive line that could potentially be very good because the chiefs didn't have that they didn't you know frank clark say what you will about him he's not going to come in next year and be all world frank clark he's just not that's that's not in him anymore so they really needed help as soon as possible they as they could on edge and Karloftis is is fun. He's an exciting young kid, and and I'm really really looking forward to what he's going to bring to that D line. Yeah, and I mean the thing about the thing about edge rushers is like unless you're taking a guy that really is a developmental player, you know, and even then yeah, you're not you're exactly even then you're not going past like the fourth round to get a guy that has the traits to play edge at a high level, right? Like yeah. you're not getting him any later than the fourth round chiefs took Joshua Kendo last year in the fourth round. And he was a guy who had elite traits and we'll see if he puts any of that together. He obviously had some injury issues last year, but he was super raw. It's really hard to get a guy who can come in and start and play like probably upwards of 60, 70, 80% of the snaps Mm -hmm. at one of your edge positions at one of your defensive end spots from day one that you picked 30th overall it just doesn't it just doesn't happen like edge is not a position that produces at a high level typically super early on unless you're drafting a guy like in the top five Mm -hmm. and you know Aiden Hutchinson uh Kayvon Thibodeau I would expect those guys to outproduce George Karloftis in their rookie year like in 2022 I don't think there's another edge in this class that is going to give you the same production from the jump as George Karloftis is going to give for the Chiefs. And, you know, he's still got some room to develop, right? This is yes. an older this is an older yeah. draft class in general because the, you've got a lot of guys in here that came back for another year because of COVID. Well, George Karloftis just turned 21, right? So he's and still... He's, he's young to football. 
Yeah, he's a he's a true junior. He is young to football. He he actually grew up, I think, in Greece, right? And then yeah, in, in Athens playing water polo. And playing water polo, and he was their goaltender. So he yeah. was, you know, that's how you develop that lower body strength is, uh, you know, no treading joke. water for hours at a time. No joke. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be, I mean, he, he's not the bendiest guy. But again, you don't have to be, you don't have to be Von Miller to be a successful edge rusher in the NFL. It Does that cap his upside a little bit? I I mean, I think... Maybe um, there's still the chance that he maybe develops a little bit of uh, a little bit of bend, a little bit more flexibility when, you know, you get him in front of an NFL training staff and, Absolutely. you know, he's still young. But I, yeah. I think I think that was uh, Craig's knock on him when we talked to him that just he he didn't see like a top, top, top tier ceiling. But you know what? He's going to be a productive player. I'm excited about him. I'm thrilled that the Chiefs got him you know, a 30th overall, and he could be honestly one of the steals of the draft. Absolutely. Let me read real quick some strengths of his via KCSN. Karloftis is a powerful defensive end with some of the best hands in the class. He is well-versed in how to create separation with quick and calculated strikes. He also possesses strong hands that generate excellent power at the point of attack. His first punch simply rocks offensive tackles. As a run defender, he's a tireless worker that scrapes down the line with a violent mentality. He's strong at the point of attack and can play a multitude of positions along the defensive front. So, I mean, clearly the strengths are first-round talent. That was never in doubt, and you know, let's hope that he hits the ground running in training camp. Yeah. So now let's transition to day two and round two. So day, day two included rounds two and three chiefs had, even after trading up two picks in the second round, one pick in the third round, they got rid of one of their third round picks to move up and take McDuffie in the first round. So the chiefs were picking at 50 in the second round. And as pick 50 approached, the board was looking fantastic for the chiefs. Yep. A lot of really good players left on the board. The strength of this class, by all accounts, was not like picks one through 10, but really like picks 11 through 50. And there yeah. were a lot of those guys still on the board for the Chiefs. They had scratched off, you know, their top two needs, two of their top three needs, edge rusher and defensive back. And as the 50th pick approached, George Pickens is still on the board, a guy that obviously KCSN had ranked as their top receiver, a guy with true X receiver traits. There was Alex or Alec Pierce on the board from Cincinnati. Uh, there was Sky Moore on the board from Western Michigan. And Nicobe Dean, the linebacker, you know, not a position that Chiefs necessarily needed, but a, a talent that was dropping. Ojaba was on the board. You know, like you had some guys that were on the board. And the Chiefs liked what was on the board so much that they did something Brett Veach has never done. They started off with that cornerback in the first round trading up. Brett Veach traded back. Woo. <laughs> I, a, I mean, there's a shocker. They, they joked about it among the group of general or front office guys that they gave him a golf clap when he pulled the trigger on that, just because that was, he said that was the last thing on his checklist to do as a general manager. He's <laughs> pretty much run the gamut and done everything else, but he sure. never traded back. So he felt, and, you know, trading back four spots is not the most heroic, historic trade back of all time. But it was a fun little little move in the opposite direction of where Veach normally goes. And clearly he liked the value there and got a free pick out of it. They got a fifth round pick. And we'll talk about who they took with that fifth round pick in a second. But it ended up being, I mean, this was a this is a ballsy move. So the, the Patriots took the Chiefs pick. And you've traded with the Patriots now twice in one draft, which is always a little bit of a risky proposition as well. Right. But lately, Not Patriots really. have been doing weird stuff. Okay. And they did a weird thing with the Chiefs pick. They took Tyquan Thornton, yeah. who 
was not a guy that was projected to go that high at all. Tyquan Thornton in your in your um, composite rankings was a guy that had an average draft position and an average rank of 151. And this was Jeez. the 50th overall pick. So a huge reach by the Patriots. And then after that, the Saints picked and they took, uh, I believe, a cornerback. Uh, and that Philly picked next and they got an offensive line. Oh, that's right. They got they got a um, a center. That's right. Jurgen, Jurgens. And, and then, then you Pittsburgh. had that's right. Then you had Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh took George Pickens. And Pickens goes off the board. That obviously was a disappointment for us. And you I, could see, I mean, you could see the reactions on Twitter with the Chiefs still being two picks away when Pickens goes off the board. He was on the board before the Chiefs traded back. The Chiefs traded back. They didn't get him. So to me, that was a great sign because if the Chiefs wanted George Pickens, right, they take him at 50. There's no doubt in my mind. They knew right. they had a wide receiver on their board. Um, that they liked a lot, and it must not have been Pickens. Either that, or if eventual pick Sky Moore did go at 50, then they probably had a backup plan there that might have included Pickens, might not have. But the point is, the Chiefs were not like chomping at the bit to draft Pickens at 50. Right. They were not, right. holy shit, I can't believe he fell to us. Let's go ahead and grab this guy now and celebrate. They they saw the the red flags, which included, but are not limited to, his recent car crash where he was not wearing a seatbelt and then cut his head. Um, I think that was like a week or two ago. Yeah. Two and, weeks before the draft. Yeah. Right. And so there were definitely some, some issues with drafting Pickens there. So, you know, good luck to him in Pittsburgh, but I think the chiefs got their guy in sky Moore. Yeah. So the Steelers take Pickens and you can just see the rage from chiefs, Twitter kind of bubbling up because sure. obviously Pickens is on the board. Chiefs pass, they pass, he goes, and then Indianapolis was up. And Indianapolis was also a team that, you know, going into day two, I had flagged as a team that, you know, really could take a wide receiver. Sure. They didn't have a first round pick because they traded for Carson Wentz. And so whatever you guys want to write nice about Chris Ballard, remember that he traded a first round pick for Carson Wentz. Ouch. So they needed to take a wide receiver, and they did take a wide receiver, but they took Alec Pierce, who had an average rank on the board of 76. Now, a completely different player from who the Chiefs ended up taking with the next pick, Sky Moore. Six foot three, 211 pounds, a bigger bodied wide receiver. But my God, the stones on Brett Veach to trade <laughs> back four spots when he's never traded back before. Uh -huh. Watch George Pickens go off the board and Watch, I mean, three of the four teams took a wide receiver. Yes, and, yes. And you know that they were taking a wide receiver because they're like, well, the Chiefs really need a wide receiver, and they're picking again in four picks, so we better take the wide receiver now. Right. But they all took worse wide receivers than the wide receiver that the Chiefs took at pick 54. It doesn't even make sense. He's How'd that playing, happen? He's playing chess when everyone else is playing checkers. I, I don't know, and this has always been a fascinating aspect of – of the draft day from the GM perspective. I don't know how much Intel they get on where, what direction teams are leaning for players. Like, I don't know if there are maybe inside jobs where people say like, Oh yeah, my guys over in the Philly front office really, really like an offensive lineman here, whatever, you know, however those conversations go, but they don't know anything for sure. And even if they have a good idea that, Pickens and Pierce might be some target and Tyquan Thornton might be sure. some targets around that time. They certainly don't know for sure that they're not just going to walk up there and take their guy. So it was, it, it took massive stones and 
it also showed that the board there was so healthy at wide receiver that, you know, even if that had been shuffled around a little bit, while Sky Moore is the best player of them, um, I think the Chiefs were were going to be happy with the wide receiver that they took at that spot. But clearly we lucked out as Chiefs fans because they got the best one in there. Sky Moore is a baller. Yeah, Sky Moore, the uh, average ranking on the, the composite board, 45 and a half. And PFF ranked him as their number five wide receiver and their number 22 overall player. Yeah. So this is a guy that they had as a, a first round talent, a guy that a lot of uh, a lot of these draft guides, KCSN had him with the second round grade, but had just mocked him as, you know, one of their guys um, like two weeks ago as a first round pick at 30th overall. And the chiefs traded back and got him at 54, obviously a guy that, didn't play at a big school. He played for Western Michigan. He was the most productive wide receiver or the highest graded wide receiver by PFF in all of college football last year. <laughs> he's, he's 21 and a half. He's a small five, five foot nine, 195. So he's, you know, he's, he's not skinny, you know, he's, he's well yeah. built. He's 30 pounds heavier than DeMonta, uh, DeMonta Smith, for example, right? Like she's not hard who, to do. Who went, 10th overall last year, yeah. but he had the biggest hands in the class. So huge hands, outlier hands. He ran a four, four and, you know, despite playing at a smaller school and not against the best competition. And despite the fact that he hasn't been playing wide receiver that long, right. he's been playing wide receiver for three or four years. He's, running back. he's like one of the best route runners in the class, very well developed, runs a pretty complete route tree has got really good skills close to the line of scrimmage. Good, you know, wiggle there you know, good against press. So they had him playing, you know, outside, which you don't see very often from a guy that's five foot nine. Yeah. And, you know, he can kind of do a little bit of everything. Well, and he can jump out of the stadium. He's got a great vertical. Um, the KCSN write-up said he can win on all three levels, which is an extremely welcome addition to the offense, especially with the loss of Hill. So he comes in as a playmaker. He comes in at right away as a guy that, I, I mean, with the, with the veteran presence of Juju and MVS and even Hardman at this point, um, he doesn't have to be the guy, you know, he's not drafted to come into a team and, and take all the targets or anything like that, but he certainly is capable of breaking a game open and making a big play and doing all the fun things that a, a wide receiver picked in the early part of the draft that you hope for. Um, you know, if he had the size he would have gone extremely high in this draft and the chiefs never would have been able to get. Him. So, you know, the fact that he is a little bit shorter, but they're getting a guy that's so polished and that's such a good technical wide receiver. Um, I think the fit is fantastic. And I think that with his versatility and with Andy Reed drawn up plays and with already the speed they have in MVS and Hardman, I mean, you can just kind of see that this team is going to be able to stretch teams, maybe not quite like they could with Tyreek Hill, but certainly in a different way. And that's just, that's, I think that they have a really good offensive game plan now with these weapons set. And I can't wait for it. Yeah. It's going to be fun to see him in rookie camp next week and how he fares against guys like McDuffie and the other DBs at the Chiefs of yeah. class. Half of their picks were defensive backs. So he certainly is going to get, this guy <laughs> is going to give him a little bit of a workout. He's a guy that like, when you watch his tape, Right. Like I almost get a little bit of Tyreek vibes from him. Not not he obviously is not nearly as fast as Tyreek, although no he's is. not slow. He ran a four four, you know, Tyreek basically, depending on which measurement you use. I mean, Tyreek 
basically ran like a four two. I mean, Tyreek's right. like the fastest player that's ever existed in the history of the NFL. <laughs> that's right. But if you right. if you take a slightly slower, slightly taller Tyreek Hill with bigger hands and therefore more reliable at the catch point. I can see some similarities there. Like when he specifically watching the tape of him lining up outside and then cutting in, you know, running slants, things like that, doing some of the stuff that Tyree kill did closer to the line of scrimmage. I think he could step right in and do a lot of that stuff. And unfortunately, you know, the way teams were playing the chiefs last year, that was a lot of what Tyree kill was doing because they were playing the two high shell. Tyreek wasn't able to get, to the second level and the third level quite as much except for, you know, the rare occasions when teams would let him, you know, they would, they, they would play Make mistakes. when they played against the Raiders. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think Sky Moore can come in and do a lot of the stuff that Tyree kill was doing closer to the line of scrimmage, like right away. Like he's, yeah. he's shown that skill set in college. He obviously needs to adjust to the speed and the difficulty of the NFL game, but like, I don't think he'll miss a beat there. And I Ooh. really love, you know, his versatility going forward too. Well, this PFF note that they had on him, I just think is very tantalizing. They said he has the elite shiftiness that plays so well at the receiver position, whether it's shaking press coverage or breaking an FBS high 26 tackles last year. He will make defenders miss with ease. So like, which is shifty. I love it. Which is really interesting because his, his, if you look at his testing numbers, his worst testing numbers were his agility score. Yeah, right. So his shuttle and his three cone. And it makes you wonder if when you, when you get a guy whose testing numbers don't line up with the tape, right? Like, especially a guy that's at a smaller school, Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of have to, to check yourself and be like, well, okay, now I'm looking at the numbers, how fast he ran the shuttle, how fast he ran the three cone. That's not lining up with what I'm seeing on film. Well, obviously the Chiefs felt like, whatever whatever issue he had with the testing numbers and his agility score, that that is not going to be a problem based on what they've seen on tape. And so I think it's going to be awesome. It's going to be, I mean, more than anybody else, obviously we're offensive guys. We're looking forward yeah. to him. He's he's their highest drafted offensive player, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to see him play. Their second second round pick, mm. safety out of Cincinnati, Brian Cook. This is the only guy that we have in this class who, doesn't really have any testing numbers. He was kind of coming off of an injury last year that he still was rehabbing, but he is healthy now. Uh, He was a guy that this was the first pick where you could arguably say he was overdrafted, but I think because he was coming off of that injury, he kind of is a guy that, you know, had he not been injured kind of late in the process, probably would have been rated higher. Now PFF still had him as like a top 50 player. I believe they had him as 51 overall. And, uh, at, for the positional rank, he was their number seven safety. So they were highest on him of, uh, well, actually they weren't. The Sports Illustrated and The Athletic had him as their number six safety. KCSN is their number 11 safety. But this is a guy who can tackle. I mean, that's what we've heard about Brian Cook. Best tackler, maybe the best tackling safety, maybe the best tackling defensive back in the entire draft. And that obviously is an extremely welcome addition when you compare him to the <laughs> chief safeties, and I mean any of the chief safeties, yes. one safety in particular, Dan Sorensen. Well, what's really funny and interesting about Cook is that he seems like he's there to replace Dan Sorensen. And despite you know the the skill set there not being very similar because Dan Sorensen could not tackle, at least not often, um, Cook is kind of a hybrid linebacker. And you know, he's six foot 206. And they're not really going to ask him 
to do, I, I mean, I guess it, I don't know what they're going to ask him to do, but it seems like the, they're going to profile him to be the third safety, the box safety, the guy that can kind of come up to the line of scrimmage and hit some guys. And um, I just think that they play really well when they have three safeties that are all doing yeah. their job, that are right. all proficient at their job. And, you know, having a guy like Cook come in there, which they don't need him right away. They've got between – um, you know, Reed and Thornhill, they've definitely got some guys that can take most of the safety snaps if Cook doesn't really, you know, hit the ground running, I guess. But um, his he does project to be a pretty fun piece on defense. Not all the time out there, but I think we'll see him make some big plays. Yeah, and he's a guy that, again, I mean, we don't have testing numbers for him, but a guy that certainly is plenty athletic. He's definitely not the most athletic guy that the Chiefs took in this class. But he's <laughs> right. he certainly, he is, I mean, that's also because they, they, <laughs> they took, took some freaks. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk about one of those freaks here in just a second. They took mm-hmm. the third round pick. But it's certainly a guy that that is a welcome addition. You know, Cincinnati had an interesting year. Obviously, they had uh, Sauce Gardner go um, very early. I mean, with the third or fourth overall Fifth pick or fourth, fourth and yeah. uh he did not allow a touchdown his entire time at cincinnati so like i mean this was a defense and in particular a secondary that was outrageous and brian cook was a big part of that i mean yeah. you know he he was part of that same defensive backfield that was you know i mean to get a school like cincinnati into the college football playoff is it's it doesn't happen very often yep. it's very hard to do the system is absolutely stacked against schools like that making it as far as they did so you know to get a guy that was really one of the leaders of the defense um and then to bring him into kansas city where he isn't being asked to do that right away but maybe can grow into that a little bit um is is awesome to see so let's talk about the guy they took in the third round yes please we had a long lull they took brian cook at 62nd overall and then we had to wait 41 picks for the chiefs to pick again in the third round and that was the 103rd overall pick and finally some of our rivals in the afc west started popping in the broncos finally made their first pick at 64 overall the raiders got into the mix at the beginning of the third round by trading up to take i think their first pick actually was i don't think their first pick was a running back but i think their second pick they traded up to take running back the chiefs take leo chanel linebacker out of wisconsin and the thing that (laughs) jumps out about Leo Chanel is his athletic testing numbers. Mm. His relative athletic score is a 9.99. That seems good. 99.9th percentile. There have been 2,419 linebackers that have tested at the combine since 1987, which is the year that you and I were born. So that's, that's been now 35 years. Happy birthday in advance. It's coming up in a couple of days. Thank you. He ranked third out of every linebacker that has ever done the testing at the combine since 1987, third out of 2,419. That's, that's very good. You got the, the bronze medal there. And clearly this dude is a monster. He's got, you know, he's six foot two, 250. Uh, he had a nine, nine, five in the bench. And yeah, nine, 34 reps, 34 <laughs> reps in the bench, nine, eight, eight good. In vertical nine, seven, six in the broad jump. Uh, he's got ridiculous speed. He ran a four-five-three for a monster linebacker, which is great. Yeah, his and look at his split and ten splits were even better. Look at Nine, look at his ten-yard split. His ten-yard split is ninety-nine point seventh percentile. <laughs> and, so, and when you think about it, with a linebacker yes, running after people, that's ten yards—that's what, you, yards, want. That's what that, you want. You want him yeah, to have that big burst. Exactly. And, you know, he's got the 
the death row written onto his arm yeah. in wash or in Wisconsin. And yeah. I mean, clearly the dude likes to hit people and he, he, I've heard the word violent used with him like six different times for like how they describe his game and how he says he plays. And like, I mean, they, people are going to feel this guy for years to come. Yeah. So the, the Baltimore Ravens who are getting just all kinds of plaudits uh, for their draft, you know, just trading back, should. just trading back and then taking like the highest rated player on the board. I joked on Twitter that I don't even think they have a scouting department. Yeah. Like I think they just trade back and then they go on some draft app and it's like, this is the best player left. All right, we'll take him. Like Shoot. they don't care about what position is. They don't care about, you know, um, they just trade back and then take the best guy. And they took a with one of the guys they traded back. They traded Hollywood Brown for the 23rd overall pick, which what were the Cardinals doing? And then they traded back to the end of the first round and they took Tyler Linderbaum, a safety out or excuse me, a center out of Iowa. Mm -hmm. And Tyler Linderbaum is like one of the best center prospects to come out in years. Mm -hmm. There is tape of Leo Chanel playing against Iowa and just beating Tyler Linderblom on a blitz, like just beating him. I don't mean like tricking him. It's not like he's sneaking through the gap, right? Like it's, yeah. it's not a stunt or something where he just no. fools him. He just beats him. Like he <laughs> just runs at him and tosses him out of the way. And Tyler Linderbaum's a little bit undersized. All right. Like he's not the biggest center in the world, but he's 296 pounds. Okay. He's six foot two. And Leo Chanel gives up 50 pounds on the guy because even though Chanel's a big linebacker and Linderbaum is a small center, he just manhandles him and <laughs> sacks the quarterback. And this is a guy who had, I mean, not surprisingly giving his, given his testing numbers, a guy who was great at blitzing, a guy who you can see on tape, just constantly shooting gaps, getting through sacking the quarterback. And, you know, I, I mean, this is kind of a, a little bit of a joke and it's indicative of how the league has changed. But like I was listening to the athletic recap the other day and they were like, this guy would have been like the fifth overall pick in like 1990. Like <laughs> yeah. if this guy had come out in a He's different a era of the yeah. NFL, like he would have been one of the most highly drafted players in the draft. He doesn't, he hasn't, he was not asked very much at Wisconsin to cover a lot in space. Right. But like, there's nothing about his testing numbers that suggests that he can't do it. Yeah. It's completely different situation from Nick Bolton, who is kind of a similar, you know, situation in Missouri where he wasn't asked to cover a whole lot. But like if you look at Nick Bolton's testing numbers, like you'd be like, okay, this guy's fast in a straight line. He's good at being a linebacker because he's really smart and he reacts well and he's got a good first jump. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, if he gets cooked in coverage, he's cooked. Mm -hmm. There's not really anything about Chanel's testing numbers that suggests that he couldn't be good in coverage. He's got amazing agility numbers. He's very fast and he's huge. Like you know what I'm worried about? Yeah. I'm worried about guys that catch the ball that see Chanel coming at them and run faster because of that. Because sure. Sure. I don't know about you, but I feel like the person chasing me has a lot to do with how fast I'm trying to run away from them. And if this dude's waterboying at him, going that they're I I could just see guys being able to run away out of sheer terror. I mean, he is a monster. I'm I'm a big, big fan of his. I can't wait to see what the Chiefs do. And I this is a guy who I mean, like, I don't I don't think that this Chiefs certainly this is the first pick in the draft that the Chiefs didn't have to take a linebacker. Certainly. They, they've taken linebackers with their second round picks in each of the last two drafts, right? Like, yep. and, and yet <laughs> here the Chiefs were sitting with the 103rd overall pick 
And this guy was out here who had a composite draft ranking of 51 and a 51.8. So like we're talking about a top 50 player. The Chiefs are are looking there, sitting there with the 103rd overall pick being like, nobody's going to take this guy. All right. Okay. You know, like see a Ben Neiman. You're never getting on the field again. You know, like this was a, a very satisfying portion of the draft back to back taking Brian Cook and Leo Chanel because it meant, and no, obviously Dan Sorensen has already signed with the New Orleans Saints. So he wasn't yes. coming back regardless. But Ben Neiman's still out there as a free agent. He could have <laughs> he could have come back, right? Yeah. Like this this sealed Ben Neiman's fate and boy, what R. a RIP Ben Neiman. Yeah, the PFF note on Chanel, just to wrap that up, is Chanel's gonna thrive in man blitz heavy schemes. He packs a punch as a downhill player and he can light up offensive linemen with ease. God, I just love that phrase. Yeah, a linebacker that can light up offensive linemen <laughs> with, with ease. ease. His, his 94.1 run defense grade wasn't too far behind Micah Parsons' college record of 94.8. So, I mean, like, he's, like, one of the best run defenders of all time. Right. And, I mean, this is this is a guy that should not have been on the board when the Chiefs were picking there. He shouldn't have. Like, someone should have looked at one of these idiot teams that made an idiot pick, you know, I just can't believe that the Chiefs lucked out and got this guy. He's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, he, and to your point, I mean, like, you're talking about idiot teams. The Jags traded back into the first round to take a linebacker. Yes. And, like, they probably could have stayed put and took Leo (laughs) Chanel, you know, like, in the second round somewhere, and nobody would have given them any grief for that because he's that good. Yeah. (laughs) But instead, somehow, he fell to the Chiefs, the 103rd overall pick and we are fortunate to have them the nba playoffs means next level basketball get in on the first round action with DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba this week new customers can bet five dollars on any team to win and get 150 dollars in free bets instantly you win no matter what all DraftKings sportsbook customers can also bet on nba hoops with same game parlays combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout the more legs you add the more money you can win plus each day of the first round get a risk-free bet up to ten dollars if your same game parlay does not hit download the DraftKings sportsbook app now use promo code tppn bet five dollars on any nba team to win their game during the first round of the playoffs and get 150 dollars in free bets instantly that's promo code TPPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So let's talk about the back half of this draft. Day three. Day three is an interesting day. You know, you've you're into you know fourth round rounds four through seven. Not necessarily guys that are that you expect to make the team. The Chiefs took you know for example um, last year they took their wide receiver in the fifth round. And he didn't make Cornell the team. Cornell Powell, right. Cornell Powell didn't make the team, didn't make the cut. He, he was on the practice squad the entire year. He came back as a restricted rights free agent, but he didn't, didn't make the cut on the roster. Chiefs had uh, four, or they had five picks in these these rounds. And or they actually had six picks. They ended up trading one of those seventh round picks to move up. And in the fourth round, at 135 overall, they take another cornerback. They double dip for the first time at a position. It's a corner. And they take Joshua Williams out of Fayetteville State, a historical black college or university, HBCU, one of the three or four players in this draft from an HBCU that was drafted. Uh, A guy that, again, I mean, the the theme of this draft, and I feel like really, with the exception of Nick Bolton, the theme of the last couple of drafts has been athletes. And you and I have talked about this. We love drafting athletes because – 
if you're gonna err on you know one side or the other err on the side of taking a guy that's an athletic freak right yep. like the the i um forget who said this but i remember reading on twitter a couple of years ago just this quote that has stuck with me forever which is not all elite athletes are great players mm-hmm. but all. most elite players are great athletes yeah and yeah. you know there are very few elite players who are not great athletes right sure. like it's hard that, to, it's hard to exceed at that so Athleticism yeah. isn't everything, but it is a huge part of the equation. And if yep. you're going to, you know, take swings on players, especially when you get into day three, you might as well take swings on guys that are freaks. Yes. And Joshua Williams is pretty freaky. He scored <laughs> a 9.43 on the relative athletic score out of possible tens. That's 94th percentile overall. That ranked 115th out of 2,001 cornerbacks since 1987 so we're talking about a guy that is in the top 115 out of 2,000 cornerbacks in terms of athleticism good across the board so he's very tall for a cornerback 99th percentile for the uh for height uh he's six foot two and seven uh 10 yard split we talked about that with leo chanel as well you know guys that just they they burst at you i mean good long speed 57 percent in the 40 yard dash 4.5 three but his 10-yard split uh, was in the 95th percentile. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, another guy that – this is a guy that has size. You know, you, you talk about Trent McDuffie, who's in, like, the 45th percentile for size. This guy's in the 99th percentile for height <laughs> and the 75th percentile for weight. So, you know, that's the other thing, too, is if you're going to take shots on guys and if you're going to – we'll talk about this later because they took, you know, two more DBs after Joshua Williams in this right. draft – if you're going to take swings, you draft for athleticism and you draft different body types. Like, I think that's important, right? Like you want yeah. your smaller, more agile guys. This is a bigger corner. Yeah. He's a, uh, he's a freak. And what's really cool about him, even though he's big and long is that his ball hawking skills are already really, really good. Um, the, the write up on his strengths from KCSN, he's a big, long corner that's done everything he can at his level of competition to excel. He was absolutely dominant as a press man corner. God, I love hearing that for the Chiefs mm-hmm. because, boy, do they need that. He easily yeah. worked laterally to cap any kind of release and has the length and strength to lock receivers into place. When he was put, when he was pushed vertically, he showed the foot quickness and fluidity to turn and run down the field. And for a taller player, he does a good job staying low in his back pedal and taking short strides so he's always balanced. So, like, technically, you know, again, this is not just a freak athlete that's like a prospect or like a project. That's what I mean. He's he's good at his job. He's a good, good cover corner. And I think that even though, you know, the Chiefs, I, I kind of wonder about the whole how Spags is utilizing his corners and if he's going to change stuff up. You know, a, a lot of times I think guys get too – or draft analysts get too caught up in like what the team has done in the past as far as the fit for certain guys. Sure. They'll be like, well, you know, Spags never runs zones and he never does this and that. But like, if you get guys that are good at something, you can adjust as a coach and that's fine. And I think that, um, you know, Joshua Williams is one of those guys that the Chiefs will find a way to use him effectively. And this kind of brings me back to a conversation that I read about the difference between a smart player and an athletic player, basically kind of the diversity there. And if you have good coaches, 
you want to bring in the good athletes, right? Because they've already got the athletic part figured out. We'll put them in the right place. We'll call the right plays. We'll get that part figured out. If you're a team that maybe isn't so sold on your coaching staff or maybe just is a young coaching staff, then you want to bring in the smart guys because you're like, okay, we, you know, we'll get you in the weight room, but you guys got to be able to play out there without us because we don't really know what we're doing. So I think that the Chiefs are clearly – a coaching staff that's been around the block, that's been to AFC championships and Super Bowls, and they know what they're doing strategically. So they just want freaks. They just say, just come in. If you can run and jump, we'll take care of the rest. And this guy perfectly fits that. Yeah. So then the Chiefs' next pick was at 145. That was in the fifth round. And this was the pick that they got for trading back four spots to take Sky Moore. This was the Patriots pick. This was their um, this was their gain from trading back. And they take Darian Kennard, right tackle out of Kentucky. This was a guy who, you know, people project as a guard. But if you watch the video of Brett Veach making the call, he actually says in the video, he's like, well, we had a bunch of positions in need. And one of the only ones we had left was at right tackle. So yes. that's why we drafted you. So it sounds like he is going to get every chance to compete and possibly stick a right tackle. This is the first guy that the Chiefs took that we have the testing numbers for who isn't like an elite elite spooky athlete i mean sky Moore is like above average but sure uh overall 53rd percentile athlete and relative athletic testing that's relative to other guards there's three areas in which he is elite height weight and his 10 yard split mm. the only guy that the chiefs have drafted through five rounds that does not have an elite 10 yard split was george Karloftis who is still 73rd percentile. Everybody else is at least 80th percentile. You know, Sky Moore, 99th percentile. You've got, <laughs> you know, the guys up there with spooky 10-yard splits. I mean, the Chiefs' burst in this class is just crazy. The short area quickness and speed and acceleration is just ridiculous. This is a guy who is huge and can maul you. And that's something that the Chiefs have made a conscious choice over the last year and a half to acquire and put into their offensive line. Yeah, and not only can he maul you, but I think he wants to maul you. Um, right, right. The the interviews that Kennard has kind of done so far have shown that he's a little pissed off that he fell in the fifth round. He sure. was told that he could possibly sneak into the first if, if everything hit right, but was probably a second-round prospect. And, you know, stuff tumbles, stuff happens. I mean, not everybody who says they're going to go in a certain round ends up going there. Uh, but he was... Uh, you could tell he was a little ticked off about it. And at 6'5", 322, if that guy's pissed off, good luck. You know, get out of his way because he's going to go in there into camp. And one of his kind of headline quotes was he said, I can't wait to start to play other teams because, you know, clearly yeah. and guys that can't wait to play against other teams, not just can't wait to play, but specifically he's saying the guy across the line from me, I'm going to beat his ass. And yeah, I can know. hurt this guy. Yeah, I'm, allow- I'm allowed legally. to hurt this guy. I, I, I'm not allowed to do it to my teammates. Right. I don't want right. to do that. Cause that hurts can't the do team. It to strangers on the street, but, but as soon I line as you up and play football. Somebody. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's hilarious to think about the, I mean, even where the chiefs were obviously the, the best point of comparison is where they were at in Super Bowl 55 against Tampa. And obviously that was rock bottom in terms of where the offensive line was at. Mm-hmm. That was a year and a half ago mm-hmm. in terms of a calendar calendar year. I mean, not even. Yeah. I mean, it just a year and three months, a year and three months. It was 15 months ago. Yeah. And to think about the chiefs offensive line in that game, which I don't like to do, but thinking about that versus where the chiefs are at now. 
Yeah, right. I've unzipped myself. Uh-huh. I mean, let's say for the sake of argument that Kennard sticks at right tackle and you've got <laughs> Kennard and Trey Smith on the right side of the line. I mean, people will die. Yes. Like I'm, I don't know when the last person to die in a football game was. And then, <laughs> then you've got Creed, Tooney, and Orlando Brown I to know. complete the offensive line. I mean, I, the thing is, like, for the last few years when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, they really were kind of a finesse team, right? Like, yes. certainly they have been a finesse team on offense, but they were pretty much a finesse team on defense too. A lot of business decisions being made out there. Mm-hmm. That is not the case anymore, right? No. Like we just talked about We just talked about Leo Chanel. I mean like Leo Chanel on the opposite side of the line from, you know, uh Darian Kennard, Trey Smith, you know, Creed Humphrey. Just guys that are going to just absolutely beat people up. I mean, the Chiefs are going to be outrageously physical and I'm here for it. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's a good profile of a of an athlete to draft. Like they, you know, they've got guys that if you put them in a gladiator arena, they'd feel great about. You yeah, know? like they're it, it, these guys are just warriors. They're just big, tough, physical dudes. And at the end of the day, yeah, football is a lot of X's and O's and a lot of brain stuff, and and it's a very you know skilled game. But you, you need guys that can just line up next to another guy and beat the hell out of him when he's asked to. And it just feels like they are leaning into it harder. Not necessarily that they didn't know it or that they didn't look for that trait, but like now it's kind of like they're laughing about it. They're like sitting in the draft room, like, yo, what, what happens if we get Chanel and Kennard? Like, are you kidding me? I mean, it's, right. Right. And they pair him with Smith and with all these guys, Humphrey. And I mean, they've just got some dudes now. Yeah. So let's talk about the three dudes that they got to close out this draft. There are three picks in the seventh round. They used one of those picks to move up uh, and take, I think it was Kennard that they moved up in the fifth round uh, yeah. to take. Um, they stood pat at 135. That was their pick originally. But three guys, uh, two defensive backs and a running back. So we'll start with at 243 overall, cornerback Jalen Watson from Washington State. Another guy who has great athletic testing numbers, 92nd percentile athlete at cornerback, and he is also big. They took Trent McDuffie. He's the guy that is going to beat you with his savvy and his quickness. Then they took some guys that are just going to beat you by getting their hands on you and beating you up at the line of scrimmage. And just, you know, that's Jalen Watson. So Jalen Watson uh, tested in the 97th percentile for height for a cornerback, 81st percentile for weight. 89th percentile for his bench. He had 18 reps on the bench press. Composite explosion grade is elite. 84th percentile uh, vertical. 97th percentile broad jump. His raw speed and his agility, uh, not the strongest part of his game, but his composite speed score is good. 65th percentile in the 40-yard draft. Or 40-yard dash. He ran a 4-5-1. Um, you know, his uh, shuttle and his three cone were, were a little weaker, but a guy in the seventh round, you were taking a big cornerback who can run and who has like pretty outrageous play strength. Sure. Sign me up for that. Yeah. One of the chief scouts, Greg Castillo was asked about him and he said, he comes in he fits perfectly confident, humble, loves the process, loves football. And obviously it's a height, weight, speed guy at that position, which is a premium position. So in that seventh round area, he fits the mold perfectly. So we've talked about this a lot before where you're drafted in the seventh. Yeah. These guys aren't going to have, glowing resumes and they're not going to be slam dunk picks obviously they're going to have some warts yeah they're going to have some warts you know that's you know you're now 150 guys or 200 guys into the draft you know they're going to be some guys some question marks but if they have something 
that stands out. If they have a skill or a trait or a, or a measurable that you think not everybody in that draft has that, those are the targets where you take one thing. And if you can refine that one thing down, and if you can, you know, use that somehow on the practice field or even in a game, um, that's what you're looking for with a seventh round pick. They're not going to be big productive guys, but I certainly think that Jalen Watson, 6'3", 204, and, you know, he's got some speed. He, I, I really like that pick. It's a good value, and I'm interested to see how far he sticks with the team. Yeah, me too. So the next pick in round seven, Isaiah Pacheco, a running back out of Rutgers. They took him with the 251st overall pick. We're back to, again, another pretty elite athlete, 80 sec, or excuse me, 88th percentile amongst running backs, ranked 187th out of 1,600 running backs since 1987 in his athletic testing. This is a guy who, I mean, his numbers are really funny. Like there are some guys, you get a Leo Chanel, you get a Creed Humphrey where they're, their whole thing is green. Like every yeah. single category is like up. elite, 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 uh-huh. elite, elite, elite. We're elite at everything. We're good at everything. Isaiah <laughs> Pacheco's strengths are very funny. So he's not the biggest guy, 52nd percentile height. He's not the, the heaviest guy, 78th percentile weight. He did 27 bench reps, <laughs> which ranks in the 97th percentile. He's jacked. He's jacked. He's extremely strong. Okay. Uh, explosion grade. Eh, it's fine. His vertical is broad jump. It's fine. He ran a four three seven in the forty oh, yard dash, which sexy. is which is almost ninety ninth percentile. Yeah. So you know, like there are exceptional human beings out there, like Creed Humphrey, who is literally the most athletic center ever created, ever mm-hmm. ever known to man, the, the the greatest athlete to ever play the center position <laughs> in the National Football League ever. Our guy. Other guys have like, you know, it's like you're you're outfitting your character for your role-playing game, right? And you've got a certain number of pips, yeah. and you can distribute them to different categories. <laughs> Either you, evenly or bump yeah, them up in you, one. <laughs> you, can't, you can't be a 10 in everything when you're no. starting out, right? You're a starting no. character. You can't be Creed Humphrey, you know, out of the out of the gate. He's a bespoke athlete. He's like <laughs> level 100, right? Yeah. <laughs> Isaiah Pacheco distributed his points in a very funny way, which is all strength and speed. That's it. (laughs) He he doesn't have good agility. He doesn't, he's not the biggest guy. He doesn't have incredible explosion. He's very fast and he's extremely strong. Yeah. And when you're a running back, sure. If I can find a running back that's fast and strong, that's kind of all I need. Right. And it's just really funny to describe him like that because yes, he, and he ran at Rutgers, which, you know, they behind a terrible, just a terrible, terrible offensive line, but he probably was running for his life constantly. And with running backs, a lot of speed track guys, I think a Jamal Charles or someone like that, you're either or Chris Johnson, you're either going to be a running back or play on the outside, right? And right. so these 40 yard dash times to, to split at the 98th percentile for a running back in the 40 yard dash is incredible. I mean, that's a that that's a ton of fast guys that are out there toting the rock and. Pacheco's one of them. So, I mean, again, this is just that one. If you can find some some highlights and hone those highlights, you could have a fun football player. And we'll, we'll see how uh, how he likes running against this Chiefs defense. But uh, I'm, yeah. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I, I just have one other point that I want to make about this. And I'm not saying that Isaiah Pacheco is going to be Derrick Henry. But, you know, <laughs> it, when you look at the way that Isaiah Pacheco is distributed, like how he's chosen to yeah. use his talents. Yeah. I can see why he averaged under four yards carry in college, right? Like it, it's hard to reconcile 
the size speed combination with the production, which was mm-hmm. not good at Rutgers, right? But like when you look at somebody like Derrick Henry run, when and again, he's he's a different class of athlete than of Isaiah Pacheco, right? Like he's of closer, course. he's closer to the Creed Humphrey mold. But like it takes him a little while to get going. Yep. And if you hit Derrick Henry a yard or two behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage, you're probably going to hold him to three or four yards, right? Uh-huh. It's if you give him the ability to build up a full head of steam and get him into a crease that he will absolutely punish you. Uh-huh. And, you know, when you're playing at a school like Rutgers that does not have a good offensive line at all and doesn't have a good offense in general, it's hard to get a guy like Isaiah Pacheco up to a full head of steam, right? Yeah. Like you just, you can't open yeah. up holes for him. But you know who can open up holes for him? <laughs> These big motherfuckers on the Chiefs. Trey Smith, Darian Kennard, Creed yeah. Humphrey, Joe yeah. Tooney, Orlando Brown. I mean, he said his quote was the quote of the week from all the Chiefs progress uh, prospects. He said, I'm coming to take a grown man's job. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Clyde. Like, watch mm-hmm. your back, buddy. Yeah. I, I'm sure Clyde will make the team. Um, I'm sure that um, that Ronald Jones will make the team. Isaiah Pacheco is definitely coming for somebody's job. <laughs> let, me, let me read this NFL.com Lance Zerline write-up on him real quick. Hard-changing, high-energy runner with three-down size and potential to compete for a roster spot as a late-round selection. Pacheco plays the game like a race car with no brakes, which I just – freaking love yeah it's amazing never stop moving and his furious tempo creates opportunities but also limits his ability to set up defenders and force missed tackles so yeah he's got some limitations but that's fine dude plays like a chicken with his head cut off and i'm way here for that so to close it out the chief's last pick was safety nazi johnson which is just a problematic name it's just really close to nazi and i, yeah, I just like i just nazi johnson n-a-z-e-e-h <laughs> we have once again a elite athlete in the 90th plus percentile 90 uh, close to the 91st percentile he is a db out of marshall uh listed as a free safety we'll see where the chiefs end up playing him a guy who is small, so we're back to small. We, we've got two types, two buckets yeah. yes. for defensive backs in this draft. We yeah. have Trent McDuffie and Nazi Johnson in the small bucket and the other three guys in the big boy bucket. <laughs> and he actually is even smaller than McDuffie. He's 5'10". That's He's 16th percentile for height for cornerbacks. He's a little guy. And 47th percentile for weight. He did get 16th percentile on the bench, bench 16 times. But all of his other numbers are bananas. So his composite explosion grade, his vertical is 99th percentile, his broad jump, 93rd percentile, his 40, 98th percentile, his 20-yard split, 99th, his 10-yard split, 94th percentile. So again, you've got a guy that is just a bananas fast athlete. Now, a little bit smaller guy, a little bit, you know, a little bit raw. I mean, obviously, when you're picking a guy 259th overall, He's not going to be the most polished guy and coming out of Marshall, you know, a smaller school, uh, but a guy that has traits. And, you know, if there's any position that the Chiefs have developed at a high level, it's cornerback. And mm-hmm. and the, I, I should just say defensive back because he's yes. listed as a safety. Yeah. But, I mean, the Chiefs have been able to use really almost all of their corners and safeties kind of interchangeably. They're guys that have 
been able to come in and play sort of chess piece roles uh, for Steve Spagnuolo, play all over the formation, play in the slot, play outside, you know, play kind of in the box for some of the bigger guys. You know, they want smart guys and they want athletes. And, you know, Traverius Ward was the guy that, that they didn't draft initially. I think he was an undrafted free agent with Dallas and they traded yeah. for him. And they turned him into a you know four year starter before he left, and they got, got a millions of dollars and got him millions of dollars, got him compensatory pick. Rashad Fenton, I believe, was a sixth round pick. You know, Legarius Sneed was a fourth round pick. Like they've they've shown such good work developing defensive backs. Yep. And now <laughs> they took swings on defensive backs. Like this is the first draft where they said, oh we're pretty good at developing defensive backs. Let's just take like a ton of defensive backs. They took half of their picks yeah. as cornerbacks or safeties. And I love it. Yeah, me too. It's it's a lot of fun. And it's something that they clearly have shown. Like you said, when they show the propensity to do something well, then they recognize that it's one thing to kind of like accidentally do something well and look back and be like, damn, I guess we've done a pretty good job of developing these guys. But yeah, like, like, like the Royals, like they, the Royals, where it's like, holy shit, how did that work? And we don't know how to repeat right. it or make it work ever again. But, and you know, 30 years from now, they'll, they'll catch lightning in a bottle again. And, <laughs> sorry, but, the Royals are catching some strays. They've, they've had a rough weeks so, yeah. they've had a rough long time long yeah. longer than a couple weeks um sure. but the fact that they now are looking at a guy like nazi i can't say ugh. all right i'm gonna call him nazi like like uh inglorious sure. bastards right because that just makes me feel better but yeah a guy like nazi johnson is just it, it's a project but it's one in the seventh round that's a lot of fun to start it's it's like okay i mean so first of all you can always turn these guys or probably they intend in the first place to be special teamers anyway you could throw him out as a gunner right away absolutely and, and he'd be able to go down and tackle somebody literally and, every guy that they took in this class they could play on special teams yeah exactly. because they're all bananas athletes yeah, and that's you, do, you wouldn't want to with some of no. them, but like no. if they Leo Chanel never they becomes anything other than a special teamer, he's going to be the best goddamn special teamer that's ever existed. <laughs> he's going to kill people on special teams. <laughs> that's so funny because it's so true. He would go out there and just maul people. So um, death yeah. row, maybe. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's another case there where if they can, you know, hone Nazi into a uh, gunner, that's good with me. Well, that's going to do it for the 2022 Chiefs draft class and we do have obviously rookie mini camp coming up here in the next couple of weeks we're going to see some of these guys out on the field we're going to get some reports we'll have otas coming at the end, end of the month and then we'll have a little bit of a lull and you know we'll manufacture some content for you guys we'll rely on you guys as always for mailbag questions and suggestions and all of those things but we appreciate all of you for listening go check out our live reaction youtube video if you want to see what i look like i'm on there you know like i don't i don't have my profile picture on facebook or well, i do on facebook but not on twitter you know I, i've got a picture of charlie day wearing a cheese hat so if you guys want to check that out check out our youtube channel until next time it's always sending cheese kingdom <laughs>